0: Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience.
1: Hello, guys. Welcome to our show. Today, we discuss about unique selling proposition. I love this topic uh, because today it's hard to overcome your competitors, if you have no, your own advantages. So, I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Ryland Goldstein. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Uh, It's uh, it's a lovely day. Uh, You know, we're in the holiday season, so uh, you can never complain about anything.
1: Nice, nice. I think, you know, uh, if you set up the positive mindset, you don't need to complain at any day. It doesn't matter. It's Monday, uh, not holiday season. Just uh, love what you do and uh, do what you love. For example, I remember on school, I hated uh, Monday and uh, right now I can see the same issue with my son, he hates Monday. He told me, "No way, I, I don't want to go to school. It's better to play soccer. It's better to to spend time with something else." But so uh, it's our uh, education. But in adult life, when you find something that uh, related to your hobbies, so you can go ahead. It doesn't matter what kind of day you have. Uh, Rella, t- before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and. Why you decided to share with us about Unix LM Proposition?
0: Uh, So my background, uh, it's actually, it's it's, it's pretty involved. So I started out uh, in a very different area of things, at least to some degree than I I ended up in. Um, And so, you know, when I was uh, in my teens, I got into uh, writing code. Um, specifically was, you know, into like um, writing code for either building like a game or a game engine. Uh, And so I very quickly was spending almost all my time, um, you know, up until like when I was like 20 or 21, uh, just writing code pretty much all day, every day. Um, And so that's what I was doing. I got a lot of hands-on experience. Um, I was going to University of Washington um, for computer science. Uh, and because of like, you know, the amount of time I'd already spent coding, uh, I had a professor there that was doing research who asked me to come and be one of his research students. And so I started doing research under that professor. Um, and so then, you know, like long story short, uh, he ended up hiring me um, out of University of Washington uh, to join a startup that he had just joined. Uh, and then through a series of quite unfortunate events, um, you know, he ended up actually leaving that company almost immediately. And so I actually became, uh, sort of like the manager and the leader of the team that he had actually started. And I was originally on, and that was actually like my first job, um, you know, out out of college was, um, being like an engineering leader and manager for this um, team, uh, based on the campus of university of Washington, believe it or not. Um, and so that's what I was doing for, for a while. Um, that was like an Israeli company, um that was building a competitor to like Apache Sparks, like big big data, um, machine learning stuff. Uh, and so then, you know, just through the normal reasons that people get frustrated with companies, um, I ended up getting frustrated with that company. Uh, and so I ended up leaving, and actually two of the people who had started that, that company, um, you know, We had become friends uh, and they had said, okay, you know, we're thinking about starting our own thing now. And so, you know, I actually then joined them and we decided, okay, we're going to start this company. And we ended up, uh, you know, you know, deciding to do that. Um, And so at the time, you know, AWS had just come out with this uh, AWS Lambda concept, which is like sort of the the next generation. We saw it as the evolution of, you know, kind of computing and the way that people are going to build things on, you know, the cloud and build applications and build products. Um, and so we decided that, you know, like all engineers do, you know, that's awesome, but we're going to be able to one-up it, like we can build a better version. And so we decided we're going to start this company, uh, you know, around this concept of building a competitor to this product that AWS had just recently released. Um, and so I actually moved to Israel at this point because the other two founders were Israeli. Uh, and so like we needed to bootstrap the company. We didn't have any funding. We didn't have any of that stuff. And so I actually moved to Israel uh, to sort of help bootstrap the, the company and, you know, um, like generate some uh, actual like money from investors, uh, which we we ended up doing almost uh, immediately. Uh, and so then, you know, um, myself and these two other guys, we ended up, you know, starting to build out this company um, that was now funded uh, to build a competitor to Lambda. Um, and so, you know, we uh, were doing that for, for quite a few years. Um, I was in like various leadership roles, like, you know, either leading like the architecture on the actual design of the distributed system and all the, the application logic. Um, and then, you know, eventually even getting into a more like, you know, user facing role where we were actually trying to get people to, you know, pay us money and start using the product. Um, and so, you uh, yeah. <laughs> the best way to put it is that we didn't really do our due diligence uh, and we didn't really do a good job of like ensuring that the thing that we were building had a unique selling uh, point and unique selling proposition at all. Uh, And so when we tried to eventually bring it to market after two years of R and D, which was, you know, really bad choice to invest that much, uh, you know, kind of in front load it, uh, we realized that there was no market for this thing. And so we, we effectively, you know, we still had enough money to operate as a business and like, you know, keep moving forward. uh, But we had no real path to like turning the thing that we had spent all our time on into money. Um, And so at that point, you know, I'd become kind of disheartened. I was like, I'm, obviously good enough at writing code that I could make a pretty uh, complex thing happen. Uh, but, you know, I wrote all this code for this complex thing and it's useless. Like literally, it's never going to make any of us money. It's not going to be, you know, important for the business. And so like, really, what was the point of me spending all that time writing code? And so that's where I, I sort of had this change of uh, heart in this, um, you know, shift in my mindset of like, okay, well, maybe there's other stuff that is actually more important for the business's success, at least in the way that I can influence it outside of just writing the code. And so that's when I got into the, the product side of things and like, let's say like growth, growth, uh, marketing, uh, growth hacking um, side of things. Uh, and so I, um, went and did a bunch of research. I said, okay, look, you know, there's this completely different product that we could probably leverage some of what we already built for. It's, it's a completely different market. It's a completely different thing. Uh, but it's not like a, you know, complete waste, everything we've done. Um, and I think that, you know, we could go and get product market fit here. It's much smaller than what we originally expected in terms of like, you know, uh, the available market, but I think it's the right thing. And so, um, I pitched that to the company and we ended up going uh, forward with that. Uh, and I led that effort until we brought it to a market at like the beginning of 2020. Um, and so at that point, you know, I just decided like I'd been with those guys for a long time. Uh, I just needed a break. Uh, and so I told them, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. Uh, and then very, very, uh, coincidentally, unfortunately, a month after I left, they actually ended up getting approached by Twitter and Twitter was like, well, now, now that's a question of whether it's a good thing. But, uh, you know, up until like, you know, six months ago, uh, it was a pretty good outcome. Uh, Twitter ended up acquiring that company. Uh, and so, you know, um, all those people went and worked at Twitter for a while and now they're, you know, doing their own stuff. Um, so that's where I was uh, up until this recent opportunity that I, that I joined. Um, and so I actually wasn't planning on even working at that point. Like I had, you know, uh, saved up a good amount of money and I was writing for, uh, you know, Stack Overflow and a bunch of other well-known uh, sites at that point. Because I'd sort of built my own personal following, um, you know, and like the technical writing uh, space Uh, and so I was just planning on figuring out what I wanted to do with you know the rest of my career and everything Um, and then there was this virus that people started talking about uh, early in 2020 uh, called COVID Uh, and that was very unfortunately right when I chose to leave my other job and so you know all of a sudden like I'm figuring out that there's this huge global pandemic and I probably need to like find a new place to work Uh, and you know don't want to like figure out my uh, life right at this point because it's probably not the best time to be doing that and so um, very like you know serendipity I guess is the best way to put it, um, the investor, the only investor for Temporal, which is where I work now at the time, uh, you know, approached me um, because they'd seen some of my writing online, some of the blogging that it, I had done uh, and basically cold called me and said, hey, you should be doing um, product work for this company. Uh, and so that's when I met, you know, the founders of Temporal. Um, it was like five or four people at the time um, when I started interviewing them. Uh, there was like a seed round of funding. There was no like product, even that people could like we, we had an open source product that was very, very like mature. But it wasn't like production ready yet because we had we had left Uber and kind of forked it. Uh, and so there was there was basically nothing there at that time. And so um, I was still like and I think it's a really good uh example of a unique selling proposition but we can get to that in a bit uh but you know i did like a lot of uh, due diligence um you know during my interview process and i was very convinced that this thing is like the fundamental solution to a lot of people's problems and so um, that's when i ended up joining uh temporal uh and so you know at temporal uh things have been pretty interesting for me because for like the first year over around a year and a half, I was responsible for like running the the business of Temporal. So um, effectively everything but engineering, but even some engineering teams um, were kind of, you know, under me. And so uh, I was responsible for sort of defining like our initial, uh, you know, um, non-commercial launch because we're an open source technology. And so we need to figure out what is the first thing we're going to release even just to people who aren't going to pay us money. Uh, and then I was the one who kind of led the definition of our commercial offering, like our initial business model, our go-to-market strategy. Um, so like all the moving pieces there, you know, actually like developing and kind of, uh, you know, productizing the um, thing that we'd already built with this technology, but, you know, actually making it available on the cloud. Uh, And then I even actually was the one who did like uh, all the marketing and outreach and like, uh, you know, solution architecture and sales. And like I landed our first 15 customers myself, actually. So I was even doing uh, like enterprise level sales uh, last year for a lot of the year. Um, and so that, that's what I was doing. Um, we got into a really good place. Like we were able to, you know, be uh, commercially successful enough last year that we raised a really, really good uh, Series B at like $1.5 billion valuation. Uh, and so at that point, like I felt like I'd put us in a good enough place on the sales side. That's not my expertise. I'd, I'd never done it before Temporal. Uh, and so we started hiring like a really, you know, first class uh, sales team. Um, and so now kind of what's happened is I've shifted back to what I originally joined Temporal for. Uh, and I'm responsible for defining like the roadmap App and sort of the prioritizations and the, the features for our um, core technology uh, but I also still just from you know being an early employee I, I manage like other functions in the company like design and developer relations as well so kind of a long long answer to your question but hopefully that's helpful. <laughs>
1: I love your experience, you know, you tried many things, and for me, failing only brings new experience and nothing else, so uh, I made uh, bad choices as well in my life, I tried to uh, launch startups, and I failed with them, because, uh, yeah, that's life, you know, so what we can do, we don't know, we can't predict the future, so uh, sometimes we can uh, listen to intuition or our heart. so... I did it, but that's okay, you know, I found something that works for me, and many great entrepreneurs, including Elon Musk, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, failed with some startups, that's okay, you know, Uh, I think, yeah, that's great, but you get, you know, you, you get a real good experience, you know, even working with these projects that you named, so... And uh, it helps you today. I uh, yeah, and you. I love that you mentioned about priorities. Uh, you told that right now you can prioritize things. I think priorities are you know um, it's important to set up priorities because um, you know when you know your unique selling proposition. You can get much higher results. Can you tell your methods how to choose priorities? Because we can't do anything. For example, uh, I usually do like one, two important tasks and can skip or uh, delegate the rest. If I can't delegate, so I can skip because I know I I only have two hands, you know, some experience. Tell your methods how to prioritize things and choose something that will provide results.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, it's a great question, and the answer depends on sort of the level of uh, where where it's being asked. Um, I will say that I completely agree about the failures. Like, I would say that if there's anything that I think contributes more to why I'm so you know successful now, it's the amount of opportunity I've had to fail. You know, in such a short period of time, like I've I failed so many things, and like you know you can that can be a bad thing. Um, really, what makes it a good thing is if you learn from your failures. Um, it's almost always a positive thing. But if you if you don't learn from them, that's when you get you get in trouble, right? So, um, yeah. So what what I would would say is that uh, for prioritization, there's a really easy answer, and then there's a much more involved answer. From like the theoretical point of view, right? Uh, it's really straightforward, which is you need to understand what is actually um, going to move the needle the most for whatever entity or business, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're in a business or your an individual and whatever your objective is, right. You need, you need to have some objective, like some fundamental objective. And, and usually it's important that the objective uh, is not something that can just be accomplished in like a day. Like you want to have something that's like sort of a vision, right. Where like, you know, that even if you spent all of your time for the next month, it still isn't going to be done because like, it needs to be bigger than that. It needs to be something you're driving towards. Um, and so, you know, then it just becomes a question of like, within the context of this long-term goal that you have, like, what are the series of steps that I can Take to get me there the fastest, right? And um, I think that you know the the part where it does become a little bit more tricky is that we live in like a a real world, right? We're not living in like a idealistic bubble where we can just like write down these really idealistic plans and have them all have them all play out. And so, um, you know, in the context of a business, the way that that sort of like you know manifests is that uh, you might decide that you know like our goal for Temporal is that every developer in the world uh, you know uses Temporal in ten years. And like I love that vision; it's it's a great vision. But the reality is that like we have to be a business that like, you know, can sustain itself and like keep the lights on and make money in that like progress that we have to getting 10 years from now uh, to where we want to be. And like that also might mean that we need to make a bunch of short-term choices, which like almost seem... Incongruent or like, uh, you know, disconnected from that longer term thing. Uh, But the reason we need to do it is because it's necessary to keep us alive and, you know, functioning to the point where we can actually get to that 10 year thing. Right. And so I think when you're approaching priorities, that's sort of the, uh, you know, extra layer of, um, you know, like uh, dimensionality that you have to be aware of is that it's not just like, what is the optimal path to get to this end goal, but like, what are the concessions and what are the compromises that I have to make along the way to ensure that I'll even be able to reach that end goal. um, when I when I want to get there, right? And so um, I think that's sort of like the the foundation to any sort of uh, prioritization choices that you have to make is identify what your sort of end goal or vision are, uh, and then understand like what you can um, afford to you know tolerate in terms of like short term losses and short term you know like inability to do what you actually need to do long term uh, in order to get to that long term goal, right? And so um, I think you know kind of a very concrete example is that many times when you're like a seed stage startup, you know you're a you're an early stage company, uh, and you get money from a a, a VC, uh, if the VC believes that your market has a huge potential, like the TAM of the market is really, really large, um, they'll tell you like, hey, don't think about making money, like ignore revenue, pretend it doesn't exist, like maximize for growth, right? And because basically what that VC is doing is they're making a prioritization choice, which is like, they believe the long term return on investment of that business, if like, you know, they can just be heads down and only focus on growing the market, it will end up being a much more bigger net win for them. And they're willing to pay off because they have the capital, literally, they have the money to spend to pay off the short term cost of that business being underwater and not actually making money and like you know basically paying to get more users uh because the long-term trade-off is worth it right and so like vcs are in the unique position where they get to play in a longer timeline than most people like you know when i'm making decisions for temporal i unfortunately can't be like yeah we'll just waste five million dollars for the next year or whatever right because uh, we, we work in the business and we're not we're not vcs um so i think that you know i could definitely go into more like if, if you ask me, for example, how I prioritize individual work, the engineers who, you know, work with me, uh, you know, like do, I could answer that question as well, but not sure if that's um, interesting as the other stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Lo- love your reply. Uh, okay, let's talk about uh, temporarily. You-, you mentioned a few times about uh, your company, this company. So, uh, you know, I opened your LinkedIn profile and can see, uh, I-, I like your mantra, build invincible apps. So can you tell more about that? what kind of unique selling proposition uh, Temporal has uh, compared to other products that we have online? Because many companies can provide the same uh, services to build apps, but why your apps are invincible. So why you're better than uh, the whole market, for example.
0: Yeah. So um, one thing I'll tell you is that, uh, and it's even a problem for us when we're trying to sell to a very technical audience. Um, But we're very, very deeply technical product. So I'm going to try to stay at sort of a higher level of abstraction um, for, for what I explained to you. And I'll, I'll explain it in the way where I've... What, how did I decide that I was so confident that I should join Temporal and that, you know, this is the right... I, I feel like that's sort of the real answer to the question. Um, and like my baseline sort of answer here is that, you know, I... Um, because I built, I built this product at my last company that, you know, I was uh, one of the people who started and this product was so useless. Like we really, really didn't serve any person that we thought we were going to be, you know, building it for. And so um, I had this like very deep, like trauma um, coming into temporal of like, I'm never going to build something or work on something that I don't know for a fact people want. Like if I don't know that going in, like I, it's just not worth my time. And like, if there's one advice I like, could mm-hmm. give to everyone who's like, you know, thinking about starting a company or building a product, it's like, if you don't know for a fact that people are like dying in the street because they don't have whatever you think you're going to build like don't build it it's not a there's a million things you can build that people are actually dying without like don't waste your time trying to build something it's not it's going to be a bad time trust me uh so yeah uh, don't, don't do that
1: yeah um, yeah I, I love it i love it but you know uh, uh i remember another quote uh for example you know if you uh, build something uh, that customers love from the first launch that means you uh, launched uh, too late, you know, this product. Uh, uh, okay, for example, we can build high expectations that anyone or uh, our uh, Uh, customers, perfect customers uh, will love our products, Uh, but it takes time, you know, to launch the first version, the second, to update all these versions. So, can you tell about patience? Uh, Because, you know, it takes time, you know, to write code, to create something meaningful, interesting. Of course, the final goal uh, to provide something much better than competitors have that customers will love and can't live without that, but it takes time, patience, updating. So, provide insights about patients, how to set up the right expectations of uh, building some products.
0: Yeah, so uh, I have the temporal itself is a great example of this, but it might be a bit discouraging for people. So uh, unfortunately, sorry for that in advance. But the um, the story of temporal and how it came to be as a technology is actually like the most uh, like true story of patients that could have ever existed. Um, so our founders uh, Max and Samar um, they actually met um, at AWS working at Amazon in two thousand 10 I think maybe even before that um, and they were both part of a team for this project uh, that Max was basically the one who had sort of incepted and led uh, which is called simple workflow um, and like in most ways simple workflow is the original version of like temporal as a technology like it's the basis of really the most innovative thing in temporal Max figured that out when he was working on simple he came up with this idea and he you know he put it in this product that he built for Amazon um, and like within Amazon even to this day that is a very successful technology like I think it's one of the most dependent on services that they use in Inside of aws now um at some point um even when you know max and samar were still working there back in like you know the 2010 era uh they were approached um by you know executives at amazon and aws and were told hey um we would love to launch this as a commercial service like you know actually put it out for people to use uh and so they did and max and Samar were the ones who are you know leading the launch of this service um It flopped. Basically, it was not popular at all. It was like what it's to this day. It's almost never used by people outside of uh, outside of Amazon. And so, uh, you know, this thing, this core technology, this innovation, it basically was like a massive and tremendous failure. And so, uh, at that point, Max and Samar went their separate ways. They left Amazon. um, You know, they went and worked at their own companies. Um, So at this point, Samar goes and he works at Microsoft um, at Azure. Uh, And, you know, he really still believes they both still really believe independently that this idea they had at Amazon was the thing and that, you know, they don't know why it didn't work out, but it didn't work out. And so Samar then at Microsoft, he gets like, you know, the, um, I guess, like, the buy-in where he's like, I'm going to build like the next. I'm going to try to take a stab at this, like working at Microsoft. And so he builds another version of this thing, uh, you know, basically for for the Microsoft ecosystem uh, and eventually it becomes very popular in Microsoft. And so they come and approach Samar and they're like, Hey, we want to launch this as a service. And so uh, he's like, sure. And so they ended up launching it. And it's still to this day, you can go and use it. It's called durable functions. It's actually like quite a large product, uh, but it, it wasn't, it never took off. It was never popular. And so like, you know, um, you would think that, you know, most normal people, they'd be like, well, I'm done. Like, fuck, that. I'm, I'm never going to do that again. Right. Uh, but no. So then uh, by coincidence, f- complete coincidence, uh, Max and Svar ended up both joining Uber around 2000, I think, uh, 17 or, or 2018, uh, you know, and just ended up working together again. What Not planned. They weren't communicating anything like that. And um, what do you know? But they, they sit together and they're like, what should we do right now? And they're like, we should try building this thing again. Uh, and so they build, They now have taken their third stab at it, which is this project called Cadence. Um, and well, uh, they they thought a lot about like, why did these two previous versions fail? Like, why didn't it work out, right? This is like over 10 years after they sort of first started working on that yeah. first version. Uh, and they finally realized like, okay, it wasn't open source. Like, you know, there's these very specific things that we think really contribute. So they built this third version, Cadence, for, for Uber. Um, and they, they tried to fix all those mistakes. And well, what do you know? Almost immediately, Immediately blows up in, in Uber, right? And so um, that in itself, like that had kind of happened in the previous two, um, you know, incarnations. But then what started happening is because it's open source and people are leaving Uber occasionally, you know, engineers, they start coming from other companies and being like, hey, I use this thing at Uber. It's open source. Like, why can't we use it at, you know, Airbnb? Why can't we use it at X company? Why can't we? And so then all of a sudden you had all of this, you know, uh, adoption coming not just from people in Uber, but from the outside community. And it was very, very clear at that point. Okay, we have something that's bigger than, you know, just a product that's interesting for like Amazon or Microsoft. This is actually like an innovation in technology that everyone else wants to buy into. And so um, that was really when they were confident enough to break out of, you know, Uber and actually start Temporal, which is effectively just this cadence project that we forked and now we've made a lot of improvements to um, but that was over 10 years and it took them over 10 years before they really were you know kind of proven out on this belief that they had which obviously they were right about because now it's very clear that you know so many people uh, love what they built and like you know, wouldn't live without it but uh it took a very long time to get there
1: yeah yeah i agree yeah 10 years yeah it's decade but uh, if you have patience uh, perseverance yeah no. uh, if you love what you do so uh, anything is possible. Once I listened to your podcast. I don't remember the name, but uh, one of billionaires, uh, uh, the close friend of Jeff Bezos, and uh, he told on this podcast uh, that he spent 15 years without even one sales. Uh, 15 years he spent time, and Jeff Bezos uh, called him crazy. Because (laughs) 15 years without sales. But uh, he believed that uh, anything is possible. He could uh, grow his product. And uh, today it's a big company. uh, Plus 50 countries uh, offices. You know, uh, many countries. uh, But um, yeah. Sorry that I forget uh, his name. But you know, uh, 15 years without sales. Just believe that it's possible. So yeah, it takes time. I know about that. Uh, Okay. Okay. I'm interested about your sales background. You mentioned that you uh, help with sales. Right now you have sales team. But, you know, what I like in your uh, story, uh, you know, um, I use the same approach. For example, if I want to hire someone else, if I want to cooperate with anyone else, it's better to touch. What is it? to understand how it works. So I can spend my time and then I can delegate or control others and hire something much smarter than me. But, you know, I can uh, try it. Uh, but, you know, uh, I open your profile. Uh, Temporal has clients. Datadog, Glova, Indeed, Netflix. You mentioned about Microsoft, about Uber. So tell me how to reach out to such big companies that have their developers, they have their departments. How to tell them that you can provide something better, much better, uh, and uh, give a solid reason, you know, to cooperate with you? Just uh, any tips about that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, uh, the answer is really easy, but it's also not that helpful, which is, like, have a really good product. Um, Honestly, that's, like, 99% of it. Like, I mean, the the real thing that I would say that I learned and that I was uh, providing value for is actually, like, going from the point where someone has interest and potentially would want to pay you money to actually, especially when you're talking about like, you know, companies like the ones you listed, um, who are very large enterprises with a lot of process and a lot of sort of um, gates that you have to get through, uh, you know, like that getting through all those gates, even if they already want to pay for your product is is not like a trivial exercise. And so that's where I think that, you know, I mostly was providing value. Um, the reality is that, you know, like the technology that uh, Max and Smart had spent, you know, a decade building and was already available through this open source, you know, kind of uh, project uh, people like at these companies were already bought in on that. They were like, it was a, a situation where they were already running that stuff inside of the company. Uh, and like, I think Snapchat is a good example because that's one that's public. Right. And I can talk and, and I was very uh, directly responsible for, for the deal. Uh, And so like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, when I first started interacting with um, Snap, like they were already uh, using Temporal. Like it was, you know, it wasn't like I even had to tell them, go use our open source thing. Like they had already had a guy in the company who had set up Temporal and was running it. And he understood why it was valuable and why. And he was like, we need to use this more. He was trying to, you know, evangelize inside of, of, of snap. And so um, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, like you, that's where I kind of said at the beginning where if you don't have a product where somebody is like already like dying because they don't have it, don't build it. And like the temporal is the perfect case of that. where like, it was so clear that like people were trying to pay us money. They were like, we didn't have to go and, you know, ask them if they were interested in buying some, they were like, how do I give you money? How do I pay you to not have to deal with these things that come with running your technology? And so um, then the, the real issue was like, how do we capture that money? Right. And I, think um, you know in some cases it was it was much more straightforward like if I was dealing with a company like uh, you know um, descript who is a lovely partner of ours um, but you know frankly they're a much smaller company they're like a startup and so getting a startup to rely on your uh, product especially when your product is like a, a cloud service that really represents like the critical success of their business because like if temporals down most of our users are down right like their their websites are down and so uh, you know to get a startup to trust you to run your that stuff it's it's very it's relatively easy, right? But like, if you want a company like Snap to say, hey, like make this bet on like, you know, one of your core products uh, to run on top of our, we just started a company, we're like a year old, like you should trust us to run all this stuff. Uh, That is is a very, very involved process, a very lengthy process um, that, you know, you have to go through hoops and you have to like establish value and credibility. Uh, And I think that's really where the complexity came for me because people wanted to buy the product even before I showed up at the company.
1: Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I think marketing can't help bad products. Sales can't help bad products, <laughs> but if you have great products, then marketing and sales will work well. So hundred percent about that. Uh, let's talk about another your background. Uh, you mentioned about machine learning that you started your career. this? Uh, you so can you tell how do you use AI? Uh, in your product development and any tips for other companies how to use AI today because you know, um, uh, many AI solutions uh, are not uh, great today, probably they will be great in the future. But right now, we can see like uh, AI chatbots or anything else, they don't provide great insights uh, or generating text, uh, pictures. But in the future, we'll see. But today, it's not. So tell, how do you use and any tips how to adapt today with AI technology?
0: Yeah, so... um... I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to AI. Um, I think that, uh, you know, like just to be very frank and temporal, I don't think we use AI for anything. I don't, I don't, I mean, we may have mm-hmm. like a product that we use that they themselves in some way like have AI as part of, you know, the, the, like the, the service it provides, but we, we don't directly um, consume any uh, AI or anything like that. Um, I would say mm-hmm. a huge part of this for sure uh, is that we operate at a relatively small scale. We're not like a Fortune 100 company, you know, we're not like, you know, uh, like at millions of users or anything. And so, uh, therefore, it's not as uh, necessary. Like generally, not just AI, but let's say like machine learning, uh, really lends itself when you have a lot more data, and we we just don't we don't have that data yet, right? So that's that's one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is that like you know. Uh, people often, uh, I think, the biggest problem with AI is that you know people assume that it's this much more intelligent and sort of broader thing than it is. When really, like, when people say, I, especially in the practical use cases and actually, you know, providing value in the industry today, many of those use cases, like. I wouldn't really argue are AI, they're like machine learning. And even more than that, they're like statistical analysis, like they're basically just fancy math, right. And so like, um, my guess is that, you know, when people say they're doing machine learning or AI, like 80% of the time, they're just doing something like a linear regression, which is something that you would learn in like a linear algebra class or statistics. Uh, It is absolutely not something that, you know, you would think is like a generally artificial intelligence. So that's the first thing I would say is that um, most of the practical use cases, at least I've worked with, even when I was working at a company that like literally provided AI for, people, like provided machine learning uh, solutions for people, um, the use cases were far more basic and far less of like actual AI th- than you would think. Um, now, I think that things are changing there. Um, and I think one of the most clear, uh, you know, and very recent um, indications of that is uh, chat GPT, um, which, you know, I think it's, I think that it's being perceived as a bigger uh, advancement than it is. But I would still argue it's like one of the biggest fundamental shifts I've seen in like technology and, and, and like innovation in this space maybe in my lifetime. Um, And so I think what we're seeing there is that, you know, um, probably within the next 10 to 15 years, you're going to have these very like vertical um, and very like self-contained use cases for AI where they're able to very much um, uh, out-compete and be a human at the same task. And so I don't think like, you know, um, people have said, you know, they're going to replace develop. I I don't think any of that stuff true. I think that, you know, especially when you're at the level of like having to um, orchestrate a bunch of individual decisions, AI is really bad at doing that sort of higher level thinking. But when you start to say okay well what about things that are like very very like uninvolved like where a human barely even needs to be there today or just you know it's so basic and it's so constrained uh things like chatbots for example but um even like you know things like uh uh, what's another good example? Um, like search, like, I think that's actually one of the most like, um, obvious places where, you know, AI is just going to, uh, win is like Google and, uh, Google search. I think that, you know, there's a good chance that we're going to see that go to way more of something that's like chat GPT, uh, then it's going to be what we're used to with traditional search engines today. And so, um, I think that, you know, those are the places we're going to see a lot of innovation, like very, um, you know, specific use cases where you can train uh, an AI on like a very, um, like concrete set of data and say, okay, I want you to become the expert at recommending, uh, based on, you know, this set of inputs, like what is the, uh, ideal set of investments for in- me to make in this market and stuff like that. Because I think those are places where you can really train it well and get like a domain specific set of information that lets it have uh, really informed decisions. Um, but the moment that you have to start thinking at that higher level, uh, it's, it's just really, um, we're still w- really far away from that today. Um, so like an example, uh, just because I've been spending a lot of time with chat GPT, it's the example I've been telling everyone, uh, is that, you know, um, my CEO and I were playing around with it and he, Gave it a physics problem, um, and like it was very clearly wrong uh, in the answer that it gave to the physics problem. And so, um, I tried to coach it on how to like solve the physics problem correctly. And so, I told it, you know, like uh, uh, basically, it was trying to solve it without using calculus, and I could tell based on the way that it reached a solution. And so, I said, like, can you please use calculus? Um, so it did, but then it used the wrong calculus. And so, you know, then I had to basically tell it, okay, well, you're using calculus, but I really meant that you have to like solve for this sort of thing using this approach. And eventually, you know, it, it did reach that. But I think that sort of illustrates like how far away we we are, which is like, if it's at this very basic level, and it has a very concrete understanding, it can absolutely answer the question, right. But like, if it needed to think about, oh, this is a problem that involves physics, and like it's a continuous problem, so I can't use a discrete solution. I it, it has zero ability to do that today. And so that's really where it, it's most limited.
1: Yeah, yeah, love it, love it, yeah. By the way, I think AI tools can beat uh, mediocre specialists, uh, for example, writers uh, who have no experience, who need to improve, but uh, great specialists, they can't. So, because, uh, yeah, great specialists can think that AI come to it today, probably today. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, um, there's uh, one, like, there's even a company uh, that I'm, like, lightly familiar with called, like, Jasper. Uh, and I think that's a perfect mm-hmm. example where they do, like, uh, marketing copywriting uh, but with the AI. And, like, I think especially for, like, building SEO and stuff like that where you're not, like, necessarily trying to write, like, the most, you know, amazing, like, literature, essay or whatever. Like, those, those type of products are going to become very, very popular.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, by the way, I think all these companies like Jasper, many others, they usually take data from OpenAI, you know, and if you set up the right commands, uh, so you can get totally the same results, uh, but they set up these commands, so everything you need to do to uh, choose filters uh, that more user-friendly than an OpenAI, but yeah uh if you have these comments it's better to play that. okay yeah. uh i have the question about common mistakes can you list common mistakes that companies still do by creating apps and uh, how to find a much better way today
0: it's a very broad question um yeah I yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah i would say uh like Is the easiest answer because it's the one that every product manager should give, which is like you, you don't talk enough to the people who are actually using your product. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that like the, when you see companies, especially ones that like historically have like had really awesome products and, you know, did really great product development and they really start to like doing, jump the shark and make weird choices and just, just do things that are really confusing. Um, in almost all cases that I've seen, it's because they become disconnected from their actual end user and they become disconnected from the people who are actually, you know, you know pay for, for the product. Um, and I think that's like, you know, the number one mistake you can always make. Um, and I think sometimes people, uh, they get into this this, you know, like, trap uh, that I've been in before where, you know, they do that at the beginning and they feel very confident and they start making decisions. But then like after some period of time, they've sort of like adopted this mentality of like, well, I understood it uh, and I get it. Like, I don't need to go back and do that again. Like I still understand. And like the problem is that like people aren't static, like they change. And so like you can't just Mm -hmm. assume that because what you learned three years ago, uh, you know, was right, that it's still going to be right today. And so like that has to be a continuous thing. And like in all honesty, the people that I've seen who have been most successful are the ones who like, they don't treat it as like, well, I'm going to go get feedback in three months and then I'm going to get in more feedback in a year. It's ones where like every single day, part of their life and part of their their job is just yeah. getting feedback. And it's a continuous process that they build up and, you know, just make part of like the core of how they do things. Um, so I would say that's like the number one mistake that I see uh, people making, which is obvious, but it's, it's very common. <laughs>
1: love it love it yeah you might mean bill gates uh he shared that negative reviews uh, are the biggest asset to update and innovate products so if you learn customers feedback you know how to improve it you know how to go ahead uh yeah it's the best way i agree with that yeah too. and um, on,
0: also on that i would say like another uh kind of like flavor of that or approach is uh, for companies that are building new products, um, or even like an existing company that's building something new, uh, you know, people almost always over invest, like you can you can usually prove out whether there's a value and a need for your product before you ever actually build it, right. And so like, um, I think like the people that I know who do this the best when they have like a new product idea, they pretty much pretend like that's already a thing. And they write up a website that looks like they're already selling it. Uh, and then they just but it's only a landing page. And when you click the button, all that it does is just sign you up on some email list. And then they pretty much have a way of just you know, getting a, a, like a sense of how much demand there would be if this was a product. And like, they make the button, like, pay me now. So like, it's not just like, Oh, I want to use this. It's like, I want this thing enough that I'm willing to pay you money right now when I click this button. And like, obviously they don't take the money because there's no product. Uh, but it gives you a real concrete understanding of like, is there a market for this thing? Would people pay me? And you can even then reach out and ask them more questions and follow up and, you know, get more information about the specifics of what they're looking for. And so I would say like, also make sure you don't over-invest in validating whether something's going to work because you can do it without building anything at all.
1: Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, uh- I have the final question. Uh, Let's imagine you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, anything, just completely from scratch. What will you do to learn more about creating uh, invincible apps?
0: I mean, uh, yeah, honestly, like the... Are you asking me from the point of view of, like, I'm a user of... Of, of Temporal I'm trying to build them or like I'm trying to uh, do what I've done with Temporal and sort of build out the, the product in the company? Which which perspective is it? Um,
1: I'm asking like a customer uh, of Temporal because, you know, oh. um, let me explain why I'm asking about that. For example, I usually sell um, SEO services, but I phone when my customers know and SEO, if they understand how it works, how to uh, improve ranking positions, we usually get much higher results because if they don't understand why they need to create high-quality content, why they need to have uh, good products, you know, so it's hard to get results because we are not magicians, you know, (laughs) without, uh, it's not magic, it's more about a cohesive job, uh, cooperation. So, uh, for example, if I'm a customer, Tell me how to learn more about your products, then uh, to get much higher
0: results. <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, you know, the there's a lot of answers uh, for that question. We have you know various resources now, which have gotten a lot. They're they're still not as you know great as um, they could be, but they've gotten a lot better. Uh, you know, since like at least I, since I joined, for sure. Uh, and so I think that, you know, uh, that's a, a great place to start. We have a lot of resources, videos. Um, you know, we had a conference uh, earlier this year and all those videos are online. You can hear from like really amazing companies talking about how uh, they're actually using us. Um, but I think the the reality is, is that, um, you know, the first question is, are your apps invincible right now? And my guess is that for like 99.9% of people, the answer is no. Right. And so um, if, if that's a problem for you and like, you know, the thing is that it's, it is almost always a problem. If, if software is a core part of your business, which it is for like almost every business today, almost every business is, you know, like a, a software business, uh, then you pay a price when your software does not work the way that you expect. Um, and not only in the sense that like, you know, your business could be down um, and, you know, people can't pay you and, you know, you literally can't generate revenue. Uh, but then also like the flip side is like when your business goes down because the software doesn't work, you have to go then pay your developers and make sure you have developers who can fix that software. And like, well, I'll tell you, even if you're willing to pay the developers to go and do that, they don't like doing that. Developers hate having to go and constantly fix software. Software instead of writing new software and building new things, and so um, I would say that you know if that's a problem that you feel like resonates with you, uh, I think temporal and you know uh, like sort of durable execution, which is the you know innovation that that our product has, uh, is something that you should be very very interested in. And really, it's just a matter of uh, changing the way that you approach developing that application um, to sort of use the framework and the patterns that we've we've defined. Uh, And as long as you do that, you don't have to worry about this entire set of problems, and your application becomes invincible just by sort of nature of, of running on temporal itself. Um so yeah I, I don't think like it's it's very hard because uh, it's a very like um technically involve products in some ways and so like if you don't already have a problem that temporal solves like usually it's not a good idea to go seek it out like don't you know like uh don't go try to shoehorn something where it doesn't make sense but if you have any problems with like you know your applications and your software not performing reliably or having to spend too much of your developers time like you know maintaining those and paying debt and like you know dealing with failure uh then you should definitely look into temporal because it will just solve that class of problems without you having to waste time on it
1: Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Uh, Ryland, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you. You share a lot of valuable insights. Tell our audience the best way, how to reach out to you, how to learn more about you, how to follow you.
0: Yep. Uh, so I think, you know, for me personally, uh, you can feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is tail logs, uh, but you can also just look up Ryland uh, and there's not that many people with that name. Uh, so it's, it's pretty easy, uh, but I'm also available on LinkedIn. Uh, my email is my name. So if you want to ever, you know, shoot me an email, I'm also available, like pretty much everywhere where Temporal does stuff. So like, you know, through our Slack and other, uh, you know, community forums and stuff like that, i super duper available and always happy to chat about Stuff I've been through in my life, or you know, people who want to learn about you know getting into product or technology, uh, or just learning about temporal—all fair game.
1: Nice, nice. I know why you spend time on uh, all these communities because you learn customer's feedback that you mentioned on our podcast. (laughs) So (laughs) good approach, Mm -hmm. guys. Uh, It's better to follow uh, Relant on uh, Twitter, on LinkedIn uh, uh, because you see a lot of valuable insights. I love it. Uh, Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Uh, Thanks, guys, for listening and watching us, listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. You can find all the links in the description below. And see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.